Welcome to Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction podcast. Loving someone with an addiction is a life of chaos. This podcast is to help you take back your power and build strength, hope, and restore peace in your life. We use the science and art of positive psychology, professionals in their field, along with personal stories of hope, resilience, and strength. We hope you can discover how the courage to focus on you can help put your life back together. When you are in a place of exhaustion, hopelessness, and emptiness, we are a community that knows all too well the turmoil that comes from loving someone with an addiction. We are here to help you compassionately struggle well. Hey there, Andrea Seidel here. I'm so excited because I have such a wonderful guest on the show and she is going to share her story of strength and resilience with us. And I always say when we listen to other people's experience of how they took back their power, it's so inspiring. So I'm just so thankful for you being on the show today and I cannot wait to introduce you to Lee. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a healthcare worker. I'm a speech therapist and I am a mother to a five-year-old and a wife of a alcoholic in recovery. And uh, I spend a lot of my time just writing for fun and volunteering and being outdoors. And I guess I'm your typical bus stop kind of mom. (laughs) That's a cute way of putting it. Oh my gosh. Well, yay. And you are glowing and you are vibrant. And I want to get to how you took your power back because everyone is going to want to like tap into like your, you just, you're like, they can't see you on this podcast, but you're glowing, you're smiling the whole time we're here. And um, so, but let's go back into the muck a little bit. So what is your story around addiction? Well, I grew up in a pretty normal childhood. So I didn't really know a ton about addiction other than, you know, some members of my extended family. And um, when I married my husband um, nine nine years ago now, um, I knew he was a heavy drinker, but, you know, I feel like sometimes in our society, that kind of line between, you know, it's, 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 our, you know, our culture is pretty immersed in sort of that, you know, culture. And I didn't, you know, I knew he was a heavy drinker, but um, I guess I didn't realize the severity of it until um, one night he was making dinner and my uh, son and I were just like, you know, playing at the kitchen table and that sort of thing. And I look over to him and he's, um, he's keeps leaving the stove and acting like really weird. And I'm like, you know, what are you, what are you going to try to burn the house on? Like what gives here, you know? And, and so I dismissed him upstairs so he could rest because he was just really acting very, you know, odd and I thought he wasn't feeling very well. So I finished up dinner and went upstairs to give our son a bath and there's like hemorrhage levels of blood everywhere. Like the floor is soaked, he's soaked and my husband's a doctor. And so, you know, you kind of get in the mindset of like, well, he, you know, should have this under control kind of thing. And I was like, oh my God, like, and uh, he's like, oh, it's fine. Da, da, da. And so I, at that point, I was getting very concerned, obviously, with the hemorrhage levels of blood. And I told him, I said, 
um, either we're going to the hospital or I'm calling an ambulance. So I had a friend come over and watch our son. And um, I had mentioned I'm a speech therapist. So I was noticing like his speech was really slurred and he was just acting really weird. I was having, he was having trouble walking and I was thinking he was having a stroke or something. I was so worried at that time. We get to the hospital. I actually worked at the hospital. So it was sort of ironic there. And um, so we get back and the nurse is like, how many, you know, how much has your husband had to drink? And he told me two glasses of wine, which, you know, he was more of a bottle a night type of drinker. But, you know, you take what you, you've been told and relay that information. And so they ran a CT test and an EKG and his scans came back clear, which I was like, you know, relieved that it wasn't, you know, a brain bleed or any sort of permanent damage. But uh, I told the ER doctor, like, I don't feel safe about taking him home. Can you do like a Lyme test or, or an, and a blood alcohol test? I don't, I need to know like what's going on. And the ER doctor came back in the room and whispered a number to me and it didn't really register, but the ER doctor looked at him and said, you have the highest blood alcohol I've ever seen. And it's a miracle that you're alive. I mean, he had been a heavy drinker for years and um, basically he would have overdosed that night. Um, He showed him like doctor to doctor on the, the screen that you have beginning liver failure at 40. And the reason he was like talking and acting so crazy was it was alcohol-based delirium and such a high um, toxicity that um, that's why he was like that. And it was just such a shock to me because, you know, obviously I didn't know he was that acutely ill. And um, so at that point, I, um, he went back to work the next day and I had a a close male friend of ours come over and we ransacked the house and he was hiding so much from me. Like the house was like swimming in booze. He had like 16 mini vodka bottles under his desk. That was the amount that he drank. I didn't know he drank vodka because he was just pouring it into cans and wouldn't let me come into the office. And um, he had spent like $10,000 on credit cards. I didn't know he was going to the liquor store like every day, spending like seven, $800 a month that I didn't know about, like living like a, a double life that I was unaware of. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I, my heart just sinks, you know, hearing your story and, um, and just like the shock and the worry and the sadness, I can relate to that on so many levels. And, um, it just, and I know the listeners and a lot of people can relate to a lot of what you're saying, you know, the secrecy, the hiding, and then the sheer worry when, you know, I hate to say it when the shit hits the fan, it's like, you know, and also when the wool's been pulled, like when the curtains open is when you suddenly realize, holy smokes, there is a huge problem here. It's like, I know in my situation too, um, mine was a hidden addiction as well until I just couldn't hide it anymore. Oh, absolutely. And so, um, so, oh my gosh, that, that is, you know, so tremendous. And like that, that must've been so like, I know what it's like to suddenly find out. And then it's just like, so where did you go from there? So from there, I, at that point, I realized that it was pretty much a life or death situation for him. And, um, you know, I was just so angry. I mean, I was angry at myself because, you know, there's probably things that I overlooked and I realized, you know, no, nobody's perfect. And I realized, you know, it's, um, 
you know, a lot of times with, you know, the disease is like a family illness. So they're, you know, you're affected too. You're affected by the disease in a different way. Um, I realized that I needed to get help. So I started to go to Al-Anon and private therapy. Um, and we also did marriage counseling. Um, I basically, after I cleared out the house, I had my mother-in-law come over and I told my husband that, um, you know, I couldn't continue this way. Um, I couldn't continue with our son being in that environment. So I said, either you're going to go to rehab or, you know, we're going to get a divorce. And um, that was my line in the sand because I couldn't stand by and just watch him kill himself. You know, we have a three, we, at that time we had a three-year-old son and, you know, you can't stand by and watch your spouse kill themselves at 40, you know? And I, um, so he actually did call um, his uncle who had been like 20 years sober and um, found a rehab uh, specifically for medical professionals and filled out all the things and went voluntarily um, and realized that he he wanted recovery for himself. So I really commend him for that. And um, that's what everyone that's everyone's wish, right? All the listeners who are in the please. Yeah. And when my, my mother-in-law said too, like when we were kind of confronting him and it was out of love, it's a detached with love, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, we did it to, you know, everybody wants to, you know, your loved one to get healthy, you know, and, but at, at the end of the day, you have to be in a, an environment that's healthy for you, you know, too. And um, so my mother-in-law said he looked relieved you know, I think that especially with addiction, it's like you feel like you get in this cycle that you don't have any control. I think he felt so he hid it from me because he was so ashamed. Yeah. I don't know how he thought I would react, but, you know, given the profession I'm in, I work with people with special needs. I wouldn't have thought any less of him, but I think, you know, he he was he was denying it to himself, you know, and it wasn't, you know, coming clean to himself about how far gone it had been and later on once he got sober and um he shared a, a letter that his therapist had encouraged him to write to addiction and the thing that hurt him the most was that um loss of identity like that loss of you know his self-worth and things and and feeling that he wasn't the husband and person and father that he wanted to be you know he recognized that that wasn't the person I want to be yeah, and that that is such a beautiful perspective. I mean, it it kind of touches your heart a little bit to understand that you know they have no con no control at at a certain point, and that almost like yeah, the shame around it, and that's why they hide it and things like that. That 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 does exist, and it's interesting and it's nice to hear that perspective now that he is sober, and um and so it's just um and it's true they do deny it very often to themselves. I think like my addicted loved one probably still doesn't. She he's probably still denying a problem. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, I refuse to defend it. It's like, yeah, you've got a problem. I saw it firsthand, but I don't even have to do that anymore. So, um, but I think that's very, very common. And so I'm curious, what was the most, like for you, we know the challenges for him, but what was most challenging for you um, when you were in the muck of loving someone with an addiction? I think for me at first, um, and I think a lot of people can probably relate to this of, of, I had just so much pain and anger, um, that I needed somewhere to like channel that pain, 
you know, in order to, you know, regardless of whether you um, reconcile with your loved one or if you, you know, go your separate ways, it's like you, that unless you find a channel for that pain and hurt that you kind of like destroy yourself internally. So for me, I tried to find outlets that I felt were healthy. And um, I guess that's how the book kind of came about because I just started like writing. Um, <laughs> first, I uh, it was kind of funny, cause, I mean, dark funny, but um, I would write like kind of like a burn book and like write like things I was mad about my husband about, you know, to get kind of get it out. But obviously I didn't say it to him. I ended up throwing it away later. But um, and then just writing, you know, just whatever came to me. And um, I would share in my Al-Anon group about different things I would write. And that seemed to uh, help my group. And I'd share in like social media and things. And people could like, you know, felt like they, the feedback I got was it was really honest. And I, you know, appreciated that, you know, that, uh, you know, out of darkness, you can see some light and insight and that sort of thing. So that for me, like writing was so healing and to get like some of those feelings out. And also like, um, I think with the the disease of addiction, when you're a loved one, you have such low self-esteem because obviously, you know, the three C's I didn't, you know, I didn't cause it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. But, but again, it's like, you have such low self-esteem in a way, at least in my, in my case. And I think maybe some people can relate to that too, of like, you know, either your loved one ignore you, like my husband would just, you know, stay home and drink, we wouldn't go anywhere, he would just isolate, and you just get really, like, you know, discouraged, and um, so for me, I just started, like, slowly saying yes to things, like, I slowly, you know, I'm gonna go to yoga, or I'm, you know, I'm gonna take this art class, or little things, and then um, you know, the little things you get more confident. I'm like my own boss. I wrote a book, even just like coming on this podcast, like you start saying yes to big things. And then, you know, before you know it, you look back and you're like, wow, I've come so far from just a a small yes, you know? Oh my gosh. I love that so much. This, this whole idea of pain and anger and hurt is so true. Like if we don't, you know, if we don't acknowledge it, if we don't like process it or channel it, I love the way you put it, like channel it and put it somewhere. Um, it, it, it can really build up, right? Like it's like a kettle, you know, suddenly like about to boil. Um, so I love that you channel that into your writing and you turned your pain into purpose as well. And that you took, um, and, and I did that too. Like I remember grabbing a journal and it's actually, I still have it to this day because I always want to, if ever he were to come back into my life, I have that journal. <laughs> And it's like, it's like, I just had to get my anger out, my frustration. And it's like, even like I would curse and I would like, you know, but it felt so good after it was like an outlet for me to process that frustration, anger. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I also love that you brought up this idea of slow and steady, like, you know, just like slowly say yes to things and slowly, you know, get, get yourself back. Now I'm curious, is there any other, like you suggested writing, is there any other way that you um, help to process this pain and anger and hurt? Oh yeah, absolutely. I actually am really big into um, volunteering and I, you know, even if it's not anything big, like I found that um, there was a quote that's like, when you're in the weeds and you can help someone else, that's love. And, you know, obviously there, you, there's that element you want self-care and putting yourself, you know, first and that. But I, I think that um, for me, that even just like small things, like um, I have 
a couple of elderly neighbors that live on my block that I go and visit with weekly and sit with them on their porch, especially during COVID when they were, you know, locked in and, you know, unable to go out and, you know, places due to their health, like, or, you know, or I share at my Al-Anon group or, um, I volunteer my son's classroom and, you know, used a, a, a under my character weaknesses when I went through my steps, like to realize like, I am good at writing. So I volunteer my son's kindergarten classroom and help the kids learn to write. And that's so rewarding. Or, um, you know, even just like little things like, you know, donate, you know, clothes that you don't use. It, it doesn't have to be a grand gesture, but just to um, that heart of of gratitude and um, a purpose, like, you know, especially I think with the pain of having a loved one that maybe doesn't find sobriety or, you know, is really, um, really having a hard time. I find like um, a lot of members in my Al-Anon group, I'll be like, you know, what helped me was to try to turn my pain into some sort of purpose. And um, one of the women went to back to nursing or one um, volunteers at a food kitchen or things that are they, they find some, some purpose and some joy and to realize that, you know, lots of people have, you know, the more time I talk to people, the more I realize we all have our stuff, but, you know, we're just trying to move forward that see the light the best we can. Oh, that's so beautiful. And as we know, one of the elements or may not know, like one of the elements to struggle well is that piece of being of service. One of the elements within post-traumatic growth is being of service. And it's so true. Like when you're in the weeds, right? It's so nice when you're helping other people because it helps them out of the weeds. It kind of lifts you up as well. And uh, science has actually confirmed that this being of service and helping others and acts of kindness um, have such a, a profound impact on us as well. It's almost like a double whammy, a, a double lift. It lifts everybody up. So I just want to celebrate that, you know, you've t- taken your gift of writing and your passion for writing and sharing it with the children and volunteering and just helping and, you know, lifting so many people up and taking this pain that you've gone through too and transferring it into your book and into helping others. Um, I, that's just such a wonderful, a wonderful thing. And also, so I'm curious then, how did you take back your power like these are some amazing examples like they slowly started saying yes to things you were of service you went into your community you started volunteering you you know said yes to maybe yoga here and there like new things and then you're writing too um is in addition to that how else did you take back your power or I like to say it instead of take back your power that's how I always say it initially but then really it's awakening your power how did you awaken the power that's already inside you well, actually, I had a, a wonderful therapist who really, uh, I commend her. Um, we were in couples therapy. And um, I think sometimes when you're a loved one of, of someone and you're used to like, you know, holding it together and you're like a cleanup crew taking care of everything. And I just like pretty much had a breakdown. I just started like, I just broke. I, I don't, I just started crying. and um, And I just told her that like, I don't know who I am anymore. That was, um, I just felt like I was taking care of everyone so much that at that point I wasn't focusing on self-care or anything like that. And she, you know, told me some advice that really turned things around about creating boundaries and, um, and self-care and, you know, and just relearning, um, how to, have healthy relationships of like not being a codependent and putting yourself first and that sort of thing. So um, 
that advice I really put into play and realized that, um, you know, I had the, you know, the sort of luxury to kind of look at my career and, and realize that like, you know, the work environment I was in was really toxic. And I, um, there, I realized that I needed a little bit more work-life balance and things like that, where I started to self-reflect on, um, how my life, how the pieces were coming together. And, um, and I changed, you know, I changed, um, careers and I'm, you know, set my own schedule now and just things like that, where I was trying to look more as like, how do I spend my day and how do I want to spend the hours that I have, you know, and how can I, um, give myself some me time and support my family and, and find that, you know, find that balance. So I'm not so burnt out. So I'm not so depleted at the end of the day. Ooh, I love that. So putting yourself first. And also I want to back up to that point where you were, you know, holding it together, you know, keeping on your brave face. And um, I think a lot of people who love someone with an addiction, that's what we do. Like we literally are trying to, you know, put on that brave face, you know, put on that smile, show up at work and um, or show up in life in general, when we have this kind of almost like cloud, dark cloud kind of following us around. And, um, so I just want to celebrate that, you know what? Yeah, you broke down and cried. And like, sometimes that crying is much needed, right? It's like uh, from that breakdown, it makes you realize, holy smokes, like I need support or I need to change something or I need I need to take care of me. I need to put me first. And so anyone listening, if they have that breakdown part, mode, I remember being in my car, like ugly crying yeah. at one point. <laughs> I was going to say for me too, that was so healing. It sounds really odd, but it's like all my life, I was like this high function perfectionist and I never showed signs of weakness or anything that and then it's like once you once you say it aloud like I'm not okay of like how freeing that is of just being like let's just you know get through today one day at a time let's just try to like make progress and not try to shoot for you know just these unattainable standards like how freeing that was to not always have to have this you know perfect veneer of you know, and being your authentic self. And I found that the more I was like real in a way with other people, that the more they like respected me because then they could be them. They had the freedom to be themselves too. Oh, I, the vulnerability that you show, it creates um, bravery in other people and makes people see you as a human and connects to you on a deeper level. That's amazing. And, and yeah, knowing that you're, you know, I'm not okay. Like I'm broken, like just acknowledging that. And then is so then from there, you know, sit with it a little bit and then, you know, progressing um, bit by bit. I love the way you put that. And it's almost like your husband too felt that sense of relief when he finally let it all out, the secrets out of the bag. It's almost like he had, he felt that sense of relief that now he knows he can, you know, move forward in, in an effective way. So, um, so that's amazing. So you, if for the listeners, you know, if there was one message that you want to say to them specifically, what would that be? Um, I would just say that, you know, I think being our authentic selves and kind of sharing our, our stories and, you know, and conversing with one another, you know, like this wonderful podcast, I, um, I titled my book Fireflies because I think that 
that's kind of what I want to convey to others of like, you know, how to communicate to one another through light. Like, how can we support each other by being, you know, genuine and, and caring and kind to one another while still, you know, everyone has their stuff to deal with. You know, we're not going to be like, you know, toxic positivity or anything, but that, you know, that through the darkness, we can, we can focus on the light and share it with one another. And, um, and my husband now, um, you know, he goes and talks at rehabs and leads a virtual recovery group and, you know, and, um, it's nice to see him now that he's, you know, in recovery that he's, he's showing up and, you know, and I tried to show up to, you know, your 12 step, like, you know, he, he volunteers as a, as a coach for various sports with our son now. And it's like, I'm here, you know, I'm going to show up the best way I, I can. And that's how we, you know, that's how we do our sort of, I use 12 steps sort of generally. So it's just like, you know, of a heart of gratitude and how I'm going to, you know, use my light and show up for people and, um, and try to give back the best way that I can. Oh my gosh, you are just like a firefly. You are lighting up the darkness and um, and I love, I'm celebrating that your husband is in recovery and that he's showing up as well and that you are such um, an inspiration and for of hope and an example of strength. So I'm just so grateful for you being here. And uh, so I know people are going to want to get a hold of you. Of course, I'll put all your links in the show notes, but tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're up to these days and, you know, how people can get a hold of you. Oh, sure. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll give you my, um, my email and, um, these days actually I'm sort of like on summer break. Um, I follow the school schedule. So my, my five-year-old son and I are sort of enjoying the summer with our backyard pool and kind of just, you know, doing our thing. And, um, (laughs) I love it. Yay. We're enjoying the summer and, uh, and, uh, doing various outings and whatnot now that things have kind of, um, you know, return to some somewhat normal situations. So yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I am so thankful for you and I'm so thankful that you're shining your light and that is your main message today. And I know the listeners will get so much out of your story of strength and hope. Thank you for listening. If you want additional support, you can head on over to our website at savingyouiskillingme.com, where we have a wonderful, supportive, compassionate community. We are here for you. You are not alone. We also have a private Facebook group and Instagram feed called Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. Be sure to subscribe here so you get the latest episodes. And, of course, share this with your community and your support groups or anyone that's going through this struggle so we can all work together to take our lives back and restore joy. Thank you so much for joining me, not only today, but week after week. Although I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, I'm so grateful that I get to show up for you and share these episodes so that we can go on this journey together. Until next week, sending hugs. Thank you for listening.